Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rutterford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk about all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It really helps others to find it too. If you have any questions or feedback, please email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. I also just wanted to let you know that I am now on Patreon with my library of hip-friendly Pilates and mobility classes, my Stand Stronger program, and lots more useful hip-friendly tools. If you want to have a look at this, check this out at patreon.com forward slash help for hip dysplasia, or you can find it in the link in my Instagram bio or on my website. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. Today with us we have Vishva Bush from Ottawa, Canada. Hi Vishva. Hi. It's really lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for giving up your time to come and speak to us today. Oh. I'm really eager to get started and to get to know you a little bit better. Yes, I think I'm very excited to, to uh, speak to you Laura about this and I really want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk more about the experience that I've had with the diagnosis and uh, having two surgeries afterwards. Um, so yes, I, I really appreciate your time and your efforts to organize all this for sure. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot in common as well. Like we're obviously both physiotherapists. Um, That's right. Yes. Both have hip dysplasia ourselves. So I'm sure there'll be a few things that we have in common throughout our journey yes. so far how we've uh, dealt with the management side of things. But, no, I think um, I, I always get excited to meet a fellow physiotherapist. And then on top of that, if you have hip dysplasia, it's, just, it's like, it's, it's what better? Like, yes. So can I ask you to take us um, back to the beginning um, where you heard about hip dysplasia for the first time? Because from reading a little bit back on your story on Instagram, it seems like you had a bit of trouble getting a diagnosis. Uh, yes. So I, I have... I've had I've experienced hip pain uh, since if if I remember since I was in my early 20s so I am 32 right now and mm -hmm. when I was in my physiotherapy school back in India I think I remember having some pain always in my right hip and it was very much focused on the middle of my buttocks so what we call piriformis usually so I always got diagnosed as uh, piriformis syndrome and uh, they were treating me for you know just the usual thing okay strengthen your hip um, stretch stretch piriformis uh, stretch rotators um, so I remember having pain from that time and I, I always thought it was just postural pain I have flat foot congenitally so it probably I thought it contributed to that um, but and it was very on and off. It was not, it was never consistent pain. It would be there, it would stay there and then it would go away. So I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, but after doing my physiotherapy school, I worked in India for a while and then I moved to Canada to pursue my master's at McGill in Montreal. And even then I, I did have some pain, but it was never something that would be alarming. Um, it's, it, it often, I think it got really bad when I was in my late 20s, so around 27, 28, that I, I started noticing that, okay, this is something that I think I should pay more attention to. So I was, uh, I was working full-time. I had just started working full-time as a physiotherapist. So when you come to Canada, you have to take license exam, like uh, to just, you know, to start practicing, practicing as an independent therapist. So I went through all that process and it was certainly more responsibilities physically on my part to handle, to go, as, go back as a full-time physio. I started noticing that I was having consistently more pain to a point where it would 
hinder with my daily living so if i had to do something where i would be standing for 30 minutes i wouldn't be able to do it so it was naturally alarming for me that okay why why is this happening and by this time i was already stretching my hip and uh, i was trying to do um, strengthening as much as i could but i think i was very lucky to work with a sports medicine uh, doctor dr julie pills who uh, whom i approached saying you know i think i need more investigation on this because this has been bothering me so she took up on that and she first we both thought that it is probably bursitis um because in my focal point was just on the lateral side of my right hip and she told me to go under ultrasound so we did ultrasound it didn't show anything it didn't say that the bursa was inflamed um and after that it it was again very on and off but it was there so and when i think in canada it just takes a little bit while because it's public healthcare system so after ultrasound she she told me okay let's do an mri so i had to wait for a significant amount of time to get an mri done um and while i was getting that mri done i realized that my left hip started hurting me so we both uh, so and my left hip was never an issue before so we both thought i think it's because i'm compensating with my right because my right is overloaded so it's probably just left is acting up so she said you know what while you're doing your mri for your right i might as well send you for your left because you're waiting for mri to get done anyways so um i think i underwent mri and the funny part was i was uh, working at the office i was working at the clinic and i got my own results in my hand because that's where i had given my fax number because that's where the doctor works so um uh, the reception came to like oh here is a report so i i read the report and i i still remember where i was standing in the clinic and it said bilateral uh, lab- labrum tears and i'm looking at it and i'm quite surprised because that's not what i expected um i said okay it has i, I says okay it says labrum tears on both the sides anterior and inferior and i never had pain pattern to my to correlate to the anterior labrum tears um because usually it's the pinching in the hip more in the groin i have never had groin pains uh so i took it to took it to my uh, sports medicine doctor and uh, she's like okay i am also equally surprised at this result and uh, she's like let me send you out um let let's rule out fai so which is so she's like okay let's do another type of x-rays a detailed x-ray and see if you are having any fai which is what is causing your tear so i just want to say just stop me if i'm using a lot of jargon laura because i don't want to sound like uh, so when i say fai i mean it i mean that femoral acetabular impingement so it's basically it can happen with your hip joint being impinged and that can eventually lead to tear um so while we were doing that and she then said okay let's let's just do an arthrogram because that's a detailed version of where it'll tell me where the where the tear is going and if there's a particular direction the tear is at so i underwent multiple arthrograms so arthrogram is basically an mri with a dye injection it basically tells you the exact location of your tear and while i was going through all that i uh, realized that my pain was getting significantly worse and i because all of this what took me a, a good a year and a half just to get through multiple mris and then arthrograms so she said why don't i send you to a surgeon here uh, who deals with labrum tears and then we can go from there so i happened to see dr wilkins um he's amazing i so i'm at ottawa civic i think i'm uh, i really want to talk about how the public system works here and how it can delay your time um 
so he saw i saw him it took me four months five months just to see him just to get an appointment to see him and until now i i never paid attention to okay why will i have labrum tears uh because to me when i associate lab, any tear ligamentous tear it's mostly just if i've been very athletic which i have not um but then also you can have labrum tear and you cannot have pain so there are a lot of theories behind hip labrum tears so i just i i just blindly waited to see the doctor and i went to see him and uh, he said okay we need to do your x-rays in probably 10 to 12 directions so i said okay so they did a lot of internal rotation external rotation x-rays and i was sitting uh to hear from him because until now i thought okay he's just going to say we'll do uh an arthroscopy and uh, we'll go from there so i was i had prepared my questions for him saying if you're doing arthroscopy you know how, how are you going to do it what is the are you going to do deprivement or things like that a typical patient, physio patient um <laughs> so uh and i still remember i was sitting there and he says um well from your x-rays and from the symptoms that you're having you have hip dysplasia so that was not i was that's not what i was expecting at all and uh, he said uh I understand your questions about debridement and if I do that your pain is eventually going to come back because the reason you are having labrum tears is because your hip is not aligned and anatomically correct. So I and it made complete sense what he said that he said it's just basically it's not targeting the root cause. If I do an arthroscopy you're going to come back to me in 5 years saying you have the same pain. uh so i said okay then wh- what are we going to do about this and he's like the gold standard is uh, pao we call it periacetabular osteotomy and uh, we basically what i do is uh, i'll incise your pelvis into two parts which is the osteotomy rotate it and correct your hip angle so just hearing him hearing him say that it was like okay what is <laughs> and he said yeah you'll have to do this twice so <laughs> so it was um it was quite quite to take um and i said okay so what is the recovery like he said well it's you going to be um partial weight bearing or no weight bearing for good 6 uh, to 8 weeks and then um you will start physio so eventually if you take two surgeries going to take at least a year or two so you see you realize you're in your late 20s you have your professional goals you have your personal relationship goals and you're told that you're going to be having a massive surgery not once but twice um it was definitely overwhelming uh, to take at that point and um i i i realized i i chose to be in complete denial because i i i had pain uh, but it was not significant enough in my mind to to put myself to two surgeries uh, two big surgeries and he told me that if if you're not having significant pain we should try conservative methods first and then see how you react to it and i said okay so this was back when i think 4 or 5 years back when i didn't have access to instagram i was not on instagram i had facebook sorry i had facebook but i never really thought of googling periacetabular osteotomy because i just didn't want to put myself with it i'll be very honest here i thought okay no and you know as a physiotherapist you you always want to have conservative approach first and then you don't want to think that you are actually going to need surgery Yeah. So um that's what I did so I said okay I'm I'm just going to think about this I'm going to try conservative approach so I did a lot of strengthening 
Um, I did consistent physio with my own colleagues. I treated my hip, but it came to a point um, that I realized the pain I was having was not muscular pain. It was not something that that would I could handle just releasing it. It was something that I knew is coming from a biomechanical uh, deficiency in the hip. And that's when I think uh, my, my hitting point was when I was traveling to see my parents who are in England. Um, uh, I was onto the flight with my sister whom I live with. And I couldn't get up and walk after a six hour flight from Ottawa to uh, Man- Manchester. And I said, okay, I need wheelchair because I don't think I can walk. So that was the hitting point for me because it, it just um, made me realize, okay, yeah, I think I need, need this to be addressed. So um, I got back uh, and I said, okay, I need to see Dr. Wilkins again. And uh, at that time, I, I think the wait list when I officially consented for my right hip was 12 months. So, you know, you see, you realize that you're not able to walk already beyond a certain distance and then you're told okay you have to wait 12 months so I agreed to it and I was still very much in the process of accepting the diagnosis myself that okay I'm going to have to go through this uh, not once but twice um, and uh, it, it was just a very much fighting with myself mind game that okay why why this you know why me why why can't I hang out or why can't I do a lot of things that people at my age do and uh I went through back and forth a lot with with my own mindset and I've always been a very positive person and I, I still very much am. But I think what hip dysplasia diagnosis there is just, it really pushed me to think and to focus on myself in a very different way, um, which I don't think I would have had the opportunity to do had I had a very normal life of, you know, a late twenties. Okay. Yes, you're working, you have this, you have this, you go on with your life. Um, so I'll always be very grateful for the diagnosis and the journey that I've had. Um, anyway, so coming back to that, so I, I got it, I, I had a wait list time and I said, okay, I'm going to wait. And meanwhile, I'm going to just do conservative approach. And it came to a point where I couldn't wait. I, it was, I would be driving to work with ice packs and I would be treating my clients with ice packs on so it was more of a mental game also because you see I'm a physiotherapist I'm supposed to be getting my clients out of pain so it was hard for me to put myself in a situation where I'm telling my client that I'm currently in a lot of pain so I'm going to have to sit with an ice pack so it's just it's it's realizing that okay you need to do this for your own well-being and to put yourself into that spot it's uh, it's not easy but uh, I, I am, I'm quite proud of myself for, for, uh, for doing that and for going through it all. And um, so I, I approached back to my doctor's office and I was told that, okay, the wait list is probably even more uh, because there has been some issue with the hospital and there's been a lot of clients coming in with hip dysplasia and there's only a couple of surgeons who are dealing with it. So I, I really don't want to talk more about this, but I even approached um, uh, uh, Dr. Banks in England because mm-hmm. I was at a point where my parents are like, you know, you cannot keep waiting like this. I think, why don't you fly down to see uh, anybody here and see if you can get that done? 
so i even approached him i was going to have a skype meeting with him i had sent him all my mris and i was scheduled for a rpo in england um in i think february of of 2020 or 2019 i think and uh i was suddenly i think my i really want to thank my dad and he's going to listen to this so um what my parents did is they they just emailed all the all the family members that this is what is going to happen and you know this this is going on and my uncle who is in india his son in law is in malaysia and he said okay i know a surgeon who specializes in this particular uh, pao and he's in ottawa so until now i was never aware of any other surgeon who is in ottawa so uh i was quite surprised i said okay there's somebody else who i can even speak to because i wanted to have a second opinion anyways so i kept calling the surgeon's office and uh, i was always told oh, you are in wait list you know you you can't jump from one surgeon to other but i guess my again my dad was very persistent with his email saying you know please help my daughter out he would send email every other day to the secretary so oh God, that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so uh I I I heard from them saying you know we have a cancellation uh, do you want to see the doctor tomorrow I said yes I'm I'm going to jump on it so I I changed my schedule and I I went to see the doctor and um the first thing I told him is that you know I I just need you I just need to know your wait list like what is your wait list time because I cannot wait longer and I don't want to be told that okay there's a significant amount of wait list and you'll have to go through they said I can I can operate you in in as early as 4 months so i was that was a blessing significantly for, for, different isn't it yes so i i couldn't believe it because i told him i said i i really know the process i know what happens i i i am a physiotherapist i'm i'm mentally prepared for it but i just don't want to wait keep waiting in the pain and it, since so i moved my surgeon um again i want to say that dr wilkins has been really helpful for me and i really appreciate his help in in navigating all this So I moved my surgeon to Dr. Bole who was at at the general and he actually operated me in 3 months which so my my wait time significantly reduced and uh it 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 came to a point where uh yeah so it's 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 a whole it it took me a while to diagnose it it took me a while to uh process the diagnosis which I think I want to talk about more later on but it, ultimately i think it was just it, i'm so glad that i i found the right surgeon to to go through with with all of this absolutely so i mean from everything you've said so far i've got quite a few questions that i wanted to yes. kind of go back and yes. pick on and um, the first thing that you said that i wanted to circle back around to is the x-rays now you said that there was um a time that you went and had x-rays and they did like 10 or 12 different directions yes. um that your x-ray from now i haven't heard about that yet so i you know i've heard of people going and they have you know sort of a an ap so anterior to posterior front to back x-ray they might have one yeah. kind of on the, yeah. on the on an angle a little bit into you yeah. know a couple of different leg positions yeah. to be able to see the joint but i've never heard of 10 or 12 positions so what were the different approaches that they used and I, you know, is it something I that think, we should be asking to have more of yeah i think uh, that's a good question they definitely did the anterior posterior they also did my lateral but they also what i noticed was they they made me do all the x-rays while i was standing and they made me internally rotate the hip and they made me externally rotate the hip they made me flex the hip 
and then again on the outside. So, and I was quite surprised while they were doing it, but they kept doing it. So uh, if you want, I can stand up and show <laughs> what exactly they did. I don't think I can do it for my right hip today, but. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> um, but that, that's really cool that they did yeah. that many different angles. I mean, it must yes. have made you feel that it, they were really taking it seriously, wanted yes. to get all the information that they possibly yes. could. Yes. Um, and that's brilliant. So perhaps if anybody's listening, you know, it might just be worth questioning to say, yes. you know, is it possible to do a few more angles so that we can get a little bit more information? Yes. I've heard yes. people yes. going for dysplasia diagnoses have had multiple different angles in yes. standing, laying down, all these different things. And it might just raise some questions in the radiographer or the consultant's mind as to actually that might be quite useful rather than their general procedures that they use. Yeah. So always yeah. ask the questions perhaps and just see um, what extra yeah. information yes. can be contained. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so that was definitely something that I wanted to ask a bit more about. The, the next one was I was wondering because you said obviously that both hips were starting to give you pain. Was there ever a consideration to do both at the same time for the PA, or was it always one prioritized before the other? I did ask that question um, that can we do both at the same time? But I was told that it, it will not be physically, physically possible for me to handle that load because uh, it's, it's, a mass, it's, a, it's a major surgery and the recovery is longer for just one hip. So to have both the hips broken at the same time or both the pelvis is broken at the same time won't be a great idea. So I did approach that question, but this was back four or five years ago. And this was when I really didn't have the idea idea of how major the surgery is. I was just told, okay, I'm going to have PAO. So I would, my next question was, well, if I have to do have a two-year lengthy recovery, can I get both at the, done at the same time? But no, they said that I would have to do one at a time because of the extent of the recovery. And what was the difference um, or how long was the wait between each one? Because you've had both done now, haven't you? You've had your right. Yes, yeah, so that's that's another story. So um, <laughs> while while I was going through it, I think I, I really want to give a shout out to people, people in Canada and Ontario, if they're listening. Oh, please do. It's, give all the shout out. Is <laughs> because uh, when, when, and I think, NHS works more or less the same way. Only the advantage with NHS is that you can opt out for a private surgery, which is what I would have done with Dr. Banks. But mm -hmm. over here, I really don't think that's an option. So I even went out as far as New York to ask, okay, if I have to fly down to New York, how much is going to cost me? And that's a lot of money. Um, but having said that, I, I, I even contacted other provinces. So I contacted British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, but again, it's a very provincial specific healthcare. So that was again, not a good idea because there's one surgeon who does the surgery. So they're not gonna let me come in outside of province. So that's a whole other process. Uh, but the wait time uh, for me, I was told would be uh, at least a year, mostly because after my right hip, I. Uh, was having significant amount of pain, pain even at six months post-op and that made my surgeon said okay let's just wait for another six months just to stabilize your hip a bit more before we we get into your lift um, and while I was waiting the COVID hit and then it really extended uh, my wait period but I was lucky enough I guess it didn't it didn't uh, significantly extend my time 
because my surgeon already knew that I've been through this surgery. So I'm kind of more prepared. So he, he squeezed me in as soon as he could. So I think between two to answer your question very directly, it would be, I waited. Um, I was operated December 2019 for my RPO and I was operated from my left hip in February 2021. So it was a year and two months. Okay. So um, since having your left one done, you know, there's, there are so many people that do end up needing both hips done with dysplasia. Um, yeah. And a lot of people have a lot of difficulty in not comparing the two. So yeah. bearing, bearing in mind your job um, as a physiotherapist and understanding the anatomy in a lot of detail, understanding the rehab process in a lot right. of detail, how did you find negotiating that? Because I, th I feel like I would struggle to not compare myself, even though, you know, same, same profession, but I, I still feel like I would want to compare the two. So how did, yes. how did you manage that? I think, uh, I think I got really lucky. I feel that my left recovery has been easier compared to my right. So really? yes, I think, I think I lucked out on that even though it happened in the middle of pandemic and in, in between lockdown, I think I was mentally a lot more prepared to go through it. And so it, it just made it easier for me to, to surrender to the whole process once again, because I just know that there really is no way out here. And having said that, I was, I, I think for, for my recovery, for my right recovery, my mom flew down. Uh, my parents flew down both of them were here but my mom stayed with me for as long as she could so that was quite comforting so for me the nervousness was okay how am I going to do this without mom this time but um <laughs> yes I'm 32 years old and I still think that but <laughs> um I don't think there's ever a time where it's where you don't have to think about you know it's always nice yes, to be I think to yes to want your parents around so um uh I think it, it was I, I, if I had to compare, I think I, my left has been, it's just easier even pain wise that it, it, it just makes me think that my right was definitely a bit more um, severe, even in the recovery. But then again, mm -hmm. I've had a lot more pain on my right compared to my left. Uh, so it, I'm, I was not really surprised with, with recovery pattern taking that way. Another thing that I noticed the difference was just the, the amount of, uh, when I went in for my right, I think I was given general anesthesia. Uh, and for my left, they gave me spinal. So I think that made a big difference when I was coming out. Um, so the first three days, I was a lot more awake. I had, okay, I was not as drowsy. I didn't have a lot of uh, uh, falling off PP. So I think I was, I reacted to spinal, obviously a bit more easy. Um, but that was one significant recovery uh, issue. I, recovery, I would say, challenge that I overcame with my left because for my right, I remember my parents had to come down um, early in the morning with coconut water because I couldn't even open my eyes. So that didn't happen for my left. So, uh, so I think I, I got lucky with that. Yes. I really want to ask about the 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 epidural type um, pain relief that you had. So you were conscious for your left PAO? No, no. So that's what I, I haven't really. Uh, so they told me when they were taking the consent, because I went with the idea that I'm going to get general again. Mm -hmm. uh, but when they were taking the consent, then a sociologist said, okay, we're going with spinal. 
So my immediate question was, okay, I'm not quite sure how, how that's going to go. And this is right outside the operation theater, like in 15 minutes, they're taking me in. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I thought that we were doing general. And he's like, no, I think you're doing spinal. I think it's good for you. So I said, okay, can you walk me through it? So they were very nice. And they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're not going to be awake, but you will wake up right when we are packing you up. And that's, that's, that's what happened. So uh, uh, they, I think I was sitting, so it's just a slouch position. And then this, the anesthetist went in and then he said, it's just, it's just that you're going to fall asleep. And you will wake up just when we are packing you. I mean, that's what happened. I, I, when I woke up, I could hear them saying room number six, take her to her ICU room number six. That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I remember being in the OR and then them billing me out of OR. So I remember them being like, okay, she's awake. She's at room number six. So, yeah. That's, that's really cool. So I don't know that I've heard about anybody having um, anything other than a general anesthetic for yeah, a piece. Yeah, I was, I was um, quite uh, surprised that uh, they decided general, but uh, sorry, they decided spinal, but I think I'm quite happy with it because you see the whole general really brings your lungs down. It just, it really suppresses your breathing and respiratory system. With spinal, that was not the case. I was just sedated. So waking up in the ICU, I was a lot more awake and uh, oriented to surroundings compared to my general uh, experience mm. with the general anesthesia for sure. That's really cool. I did, like I said, I didn't even know that was an option. So again, it's maybe yes. um, worth people asking, you know, what the options are, what's going to be better for yeah. Yeah. each individual yeah. going through that. Um, yeah. So, you know, learning so much through all these conversations. That yes. I'm so privileged to be able to have, like the amount yes. of stuff that I'm learning is amazing. Thank you. Um, so, okay, so moving on from that, there were a couple of things that um, I have looked back over your Instagram and wondered if you'd be happy to chat about because it seems um, maybe quite a, a painful thing to, to look back on. So please let me know if you're not happy to, to sure. divulge. In. But you um, mentioned in a couple of your posts that you were told that your pain was all in your mind um, and that your pain was the sole cause of you being overweight. Um, now they sound like really painful things to to hear from an outsider's perspective, but I wondered whether you might be happy to talk about that um, and tell us your experience about that. Yeah, I think uh, I've I've been really lucky and fortunate because I've had come across a lot of people who've been very very compassionate with uh, with the situation and uh, who've always supported me, but I guess there have always been um, chances where this was when I was trying to take multiple um, opinions regarding if I should have the surgery or not. And um, a lot of times, not a lot of times, I wouldn't say a lot of times, uh, I was questioned one time that, okay, have you looked at how, uh, how much you weigh? And maybe uh, that's, that's why you have the pain. And I, I think I again I'm I'm very fortunate that I have the education of being a physiotherapist, and to understand that yes, uh, the kind of diagnosis that we have, weight doesn't really contribute to it. Even if I was under my BMI, not that BMI really says anything, but even if I was under my BMI, and I was very lean, I would still be in a lot of pain having had hips that are not formed properly um 
so I my immediate question my answer to to the same surgeon was that uh, well yes I'm overweight but I I disagree with your uh, suggestion that my pain is because of the weight because had I been thin I would still have the same amount of pain because it's just it's dysplastic it's it's simple as that um and I think I while we are on the topic of weight while I was recovering through surgery I think people don't really realize uh to 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 really they talk about okay my I got so many comments as to okay you know what don't gain weight while you're in the recovery or um uh, don't do this you know you're on the walker and I I would be lying if I said that it didn't affect me it did affect me to a certain extent because that's how society makes you look at things but it made me realize that I really needed to open up and answer back to this person that this is not how you respond to somebody who's just coming out of a major surgery because that's not my priority I am going to gain weight when I'm recovering because I'm not moving first and second I'm, I'm having to take more calories because my body needs it so uh, it, it just it's navigating so in so many directions where you really need to be polite but at the same time very firm with your point that hey I appreciate you reaching me out but I think this is not how you approach because it's it, it creates a very very uh, uh, negative impact on you while you're recovering from you you can't even move your leg and then you're told oh don't get weight so that's just it, it it's it's a whole different story but um I, I think i've been i've just had to deal with a couple of comments like that but i think i'm fortunate that most it's been covered up with a lot of compassion that i've i've been shown over a period of time um i've been told about pain being in my head i think i and i think that's one of the common things that people hear with hip dysplasia because you really don't uh, you don't see a broken bone uh, the same approach people wouldn't have taken if you had a sling and an arm and they would completely understand without you even saying that you're in pain because it's just you see it physically but with hip dysplasia the pain is the, the, the whole disability is hidden so you tend to appear a lot like your normal self so you're expected to behave that way but that's not the case and I also want to point out the fact that everybody perceives pain in a very different way. To me, what is eight on 10 could be six on 10 for you, or could be even nine on 10 for somebody else. So it's a very, very subjective matter. So to be told that the pain is in your head, that's just plain ignoring the fact that you're in pain itself. Um, and that doesn't help. That doesn't help anybody. So uh, yeah, I think whenever I'm told anything like this, I take that opportunity to educate that person that, okay, no, this is actually a reality and every disability is not something that you often see. And I think it just, even whether they take it or they like it or they don't, I think it just makes them realize, okay, yes, there could be a truth uh, to this point. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying what you just said. And that's, you know, exactly what I want to be able to, to spread these messages to people because what you've just said is so important and people need to be educated in yeah. how these messages come across because you know even if they have some kind of fact or research to back up what they're what they're saying or the suggestions and you know the the questions or the things that they've put to you there is a way of saying these things that is yeah. not damaging and there is a way of saying these things that is damaging and yes. you know it sounds like you had you know an amazing amount of awareness and confidence to be able to say I appreciate what you're saying. However, 
yeah exactly that's, that's so powerful and that you know again if that's something that someone can take away from um, this conversation today is that if someone makes you feel negative about a comment to maybe just say I appreciate what you've said however that made me feel a certain way and yeah. there are ways, there are ways to deal with this stuff and educating yes. people and pointing out the way that we yeah. feel we'll say that kind of stuff is um is a real step forwards to be able to have yes. that courage yes thank you but, no and I think when you're dealing with with this this diagnosis or any diagnosis I think it's really important to to understand in that moment that that person is not ill-intending that person is it's just how uh it, it's it's just how everybody is designed mentally um and because you are the one who's suffering unless and until you speak out or you let that person know it's not going to change the perspective and I've, I've learned that for sure along the way absolutely so thank you so much for for talking about that um the next thing that i wanted to ask you about as a physiotherapist going through peer recovery is that um, i've seen that you have acupunctured yourself um along yes. the recovery journey and um you know i i've been qualified to do acupuncture and I, you know i've never been a massive fan on doing it for myself um right. you know i can tolerate kind of doing the ones in your hands and your feet right. um, yes. but i don't really do a lot for my own hip um so how was how was that doing that for yourself i think uh, uh thank you for noticing that and, and asking about it because, <laughs> <laughs> uh i i have uh, I've had, I think I, I completely, completely relate to what you're saying is that you've not been really confident about the whole modality of acupuncture. And I think I changed my point of view uh, about it when I was, this was pre-op for before my right hip. And I would have this kind of nerve pain, which would be, which I know that it's not going to go away if I release with a lacrosse ball, if I stretch, it would only go away when I needle myself. So it's just, it's just, I've, I've come and I have the advantage of learning the skill and applying it on myself. So I did exactly that. And I've, it has, it, it still continues to help me. And uh, it's it just, I, a lot of people ask me as to, okay, do you not get scared about needles or, you know, does it not bother you? I think, um, it's not about being scared. I think it's just about knowing that if I do this, I'm going to be pain-free. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just change, It's just moving your perspective around the fact that, okay, I know it's going to hurt. It's not something that's very comfortable, but it's going to get me out of pain. It's going to get me out of the, the pain that I'm in right now. And that's what kicks me. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think doing, I, when I say I do acupuncture, so I just, I would needle myself uh, with just at certain specific points and I would lay there for 10-15 minutes that's the basic acupuncture part and what that does is just really relaxes if it, it could be just I would say placebo but it just relaxes uh, my muscles at that point and I actually it just takes the edge off me and edge off that pain and it just makes me move a little bit more and I'm I'll take that I, I'll take anything over that and yeah. with <laughs> <laughs> but dry needling is just the basically an intense form of acupuncture where you just find a trigger point and you go in and you thread the needle so that it activates that motor neurons and it just releases your muscles right then and there. So with the kind of pain that I've had personally with hip dysplasia, and I think most of us would have, is very spasmodic pain. 
it's it's the pain that you know that it's it's the muscles are in spasm and i feel mm-hmm. that dry needling is is really an a very targeted modality that it goes right on to my glute or right on to my piriformis or right on to even i don't even go through motor points sometimes i just pick up a point that i know hurts i go in and i needle it and i will see it release and it 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 remains sore for a while but it just makes me a lot more mobile next day so so it's 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 really helped me for sure yeah perfect so um yeah i i know a few other people that have been able to to have puncture and dry needling through their physiotherapist and a lot of people that i've heard have that have tried it have found a lot of relief so and um, yeah again if you have a physiotherapist that does acupuncture it might just be worth yes. asking yes whether that um whether that might be useful for you again it's going to be different for everybody yes um, and uh you know there's you know different things to consider again for every person you know some people are highly sensitive through certain tissues and it might make dry needling you know an option that doesn't feel wonderful yes for you, but there are so many wonderful different holistic approaches yes days. and yes you know, is one of those um it's another tool in the toolbox isn't it of, yes you know, ways yes giving yes some relief that's not down the medicinal route um so we've had some wonderful conversations about these holistic approaches yes. with um like the essential oils that i was talking about with yes the acupuncture yeah. that we talked about um and you know all in addition to the traditional sort of physiotherapy yes. based yes. rehab um work around it yeah. as well um, you're obviously now a few months down the line from your second PAO. So how is yes. everything for you in general now? Um, I think it's 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 been like I said, my left recovery has been has been considerably better than my right. Um, and a part of it is because I was more mentally prepared to see what was coming. Uh, I knew how I'm going to react. I knew um, that. Uh, I'm not going to be able to move my leg. I knew that I will not be doing anything for six weeks. So I think having known that, having mentally prepared to that and just surrendering to those expectations um, made 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 the difference that, okay, no, I, I, I and I, I think I was just more confident because I've gone through right that I knew that I'll get through it again. And the the constant challenge I think right now I'm facing is that my right hip which was operated a year and a bit ago has been sore lately I think most of it is because it's been it's taken the weight while I was recovering from my left um, and I'm noticing that this bursa inflammation which is just how it goes with the hips but uh, that's my main challenge so right now if I'm doing something um, I'm more focused on how my right is reacting as opposed to left, which is a very good sign because considering that left is just coming out of surgery, it's not reacting. That's a good sign. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, and second thing I'm facing is the fatigue. So it's just that I'm at a stage, a very fine line stage where uh, I'm physically be able to walk, take the steps. So you, uh, you feel like, okay, I want to do this. You know, I, okay, let's, let's just, so yesterday I had this plan of cleaning my car, which I did. But then after that, I was just said, that's it. That was that was it for the day. So I was <laughs> like, okay, I had other things planned, but I guess I'll just have to sit back and realize that that was the stamina of the day. So uh, uh, I think it, it's been going really well. I am very uh, fortunate that I have the support of my sister who lives with me. So she takes, co- she takes over when I can't do things. Uh, but uh, it's just, it's it's been going, it's been growing great, I would say. I... I can't really complain. 
So in the um, in the the bits that you've just said, and you talked about, you know, needing extra time to to recover, and yeah. I wanted to ask you about your sleep. Whether you've noticed that when you're needing to recover more, you've needed more sleep, and if so, you know, how much sleep you feel you needed personally in addition while you're going through a lot of recovery. I think that's a very good question you've raised because I've always felt with both of my recoveries that I need. So even after my right, right hip recovery, I, I remember sleeping a lot. I would be sleeping 14 hours a day. This was just beginning in the recovery. So two, three weeks, the first two, three weeks, which are very cru- crucial. I remember sleeping 12, 14 hours a day. Uh, and since then, I've noticed that if I don't sleep significantly good for eight hours, my or six to eight hours, I would say eight for sure, is that the next day I notice the difference. And I noticed that, okay, I, it's because I haven't slept. And the same thing with my left, I didn't need as much sleep, but I definitely needed uh, just at least eight hours to, to begin with. And the time that I couldn't sleep, it was because I couldn't roll onto my stomach and I'm a stomach sleeper. So I would be staying up at night saying, okay, I can't rotate my hip. So I'll just be up for a while and then I would fall asleep. So, uh, so things like that, but I, I think I realized that overall having gone through two surgeries, my body definitely needs to recuperate more and that is through sleep. So if I, I mean, we don't socialize anyways because of lockdown, but if I've had friends who would call me at 10 o'clock in the night for partying, I don't think I'll be up for it. I think I'm too old for that. (laughs) I would be, I I don't think they can even reach me because I sleep by 9.30, 10 max. So I'm usually in bed by nine o'clock, sometimes 8.30. I am such an advocate for a good night's yes. sleep yes. nowadays. So, you know, I, I used to sleep maybe four to six hours a night, you know, up until my 30s. And then I was like, what am I doing? Um, yeah. And I met my girlfriend and she really prioritizes sleep and she, you yeah. know, will sleep an absolute minimum of eight hours, maybe like nine, 10 a night. And I'm like, wow, I feel amazing. So I make sure I have an absolute minimum of eight hours in my life. I really prioritize it. And, um, you know, if I've done a lot of training or, you know, done, um, you know, had a really busy weekend, you know, socially or for any reason that I'm going to be more exhausted, I'm like, I need an extra an hour or two on my night's sleep. So I'm doing that even though I'm not recovering, you know, from a surgery, you know, I'm still managing to make sure that I prioritize sleep because I just think the body needs it. Yes. so much more whenever you're under you know a yes. physical or emotional stress yes so. I think I think you're very much spot on to that irrespective of whether you're recovering from a surgery or not although surgery made me realize that I need more sleep uh it's it's very much I think I would be an advocate for sleeping at 9 32 even though it's mostly sometimes frowned upon but it, seriously I like you need it you need it that's that's that, that's how it is I wouldn't be picking up phone calls at 10 o'clock at night either so yeah, I'm with you on that I don't think I could reach me at 10 because I would be sleeping so um the next thing that I just wanted to um come back to was a post um that you put up um that had your um overnight bag um like packing list for yes. your surgery and yes. there was something in there that I hadn't considered before um that I just wanted to be able to point out to people because I think a lot of what you had down were you know things that most people would have packed um, but then you also mentioned earplugs so that you didn't have to listen to other people snoring on the ward. And oh, I just yes. thought that was absolutely genius. Um, <laughs> it's not something that I would have ever considered packing, but I was just like, yes, because again, the sleep, 
I think it was a must for me because when I was recovering from my ride, um, I was in, I've, I've always been in a semi-private room uh, after surgery and my uh, neighbor snored all night. So I'm talking about post-op day one, post-op day two. It's, it's even when you imagine, even I was highly sedated, I still couldn't sleep. It was that bad. So I, I realized that I need earplugs and the nurses were very nice enough. I, I would ring a bell at two, two o'clock in the night saying, you know, he would come to me, he would look at me and I'm like, I need earplugs. So, <laughs> so I, 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 it was on top of the list this time for sure. But I think I, I, I got lucky this time. I didn't have anybody snoring beside me, but I still use the earplugs. It helped. Absolutely. So I know that, um, so I've got a consult an appointment to determine whether I'm going to be sort of candidate for surgery coming up soon but I uh I will definitely make sure that it's at the top yes. of my list if I need to go yes. in for any surgeries anytime yes. <laughs> so um the last thing I just wanted to come back to was how are you getting on now in terms of your work and your hobbies so you've said obviously that the rehab and everything's going on pretty well yeah but yeah how are you coping with yeah work and um family and friends hobbies that kind of thing um, I, I haven't resumed work yet. I'm resuming in two weeks from today. Um, and I'm going to start part-time and build up my stamina from that. Um, it's because it's just, I've, I, I don't think I would entirely ever feel ready to go back, uh, considering this, considering the recovery part I'm at, um, because my work is, our work is physical. So it, it can, like if I if I need to show client how much how to do hip flexion and I still cannot do it myself, <laughs> just be like, okay, okay, can you come here show me how to flex your hip? So, um, uh, I, I but I'm just I'm just taking it as a challenge and going forward with it because at some day I still have to work. Uh, so I think it's just a mental block that I I would get over when I start working, um, and. As far as my hobbies are concerned, I love cooking. Uh, it's it's something that I always, I, I love cooking and I love food. So I wake up with that thought. I sleep with that thought. Okay, what am I going to cook tomorrow? So I, it's something that I really missed in those six weeks when I, I couldn't do much. Um, so having, having, being able to cook dishes has really made me uh, more into, just settle a bit more into normalcy uh, post-op. I still don't go overboard. Uh, and cook elaborate dishes because I don't think I could handle it at this point but I'm I think I'm still doing a lot better than I thought and uh, I, I, I missed socializing with my friends because we are still under lockdown we're not um, allowed to socialize yet outdoors or even indoors so the whole part of recovery has just been doing FaceTime and and reaching out to people if I need to um, uh, I've just yeah, I think I'm. I I think I'm doing a lot better than I thought I would at this point in in my left hip recovery for sure, and I think I'm very grateful for that. So I also wonder whether whether you feel that COVID has kind of had a part to play in this recovery. Whether you feel that it's been a good thing or a negative thing for you in your recovery, because it seems like perhaps it might have had the opportunity of giving you more time um but how does how does that feel because obviously we're very different in how things are playing out covid wise in the yeah. uk yeah exactly <laughs> i think uh i think if if i had to say anything i've always been the person to make the most of any situation that you're in 
and covid and lockdown and and surgery during lockdown just made me bit more uh or organized and plan ahead of time which i always do anyways but i knew that i'm not going to have access to to groceries i knew i'm not going to have uh have to be able to do things in certain way so i just when i knew that i when i was given that window of two weeks that okay i'm going to have surgery in two weeks i just planned and and went ahead with it and i think looking back at it i definitely miss seeing my friends and i still do but it just it's it made for a more relaxing recovery because i just knew that even if i wanted to socialize i couldn't so yeah. i just sit back took took it easy and then go from there perfect well i mean i it's been incredible to speak to you and hear your story and there's been so many amazing bits of information that i hope people will be able to take away from yes. and to take forward so thank you so so much for your time for coming on and sharing all of this information with us um and for yeah being the second person to agree to have your um conversation videoed as well so yes. there are people who um will be so grateful for having the opportunity to watch this with the subtitles um as well as being able to have it as an audio version so thank you yes. so much for that yes and uh, yeah i'll look forward to keeping in touch and speaking again soon thank you thank you so much i i really appreciate it. if you don't mind me just speaking a couple of for just a minute more i just want to oh, yeah um, absolutely i just want to point out because i don't think a lot of things are spoken about this when i went into my lpo i was on my periods so i want to talk about that because oh it, please it, do yeah. uh, because so i i knew when they gave me the date i was expecting my periods period either the day before or the day off and that was something that that was in my mind that how am i going to manage uh going through a big going through a surgery while i'm bleeding and uh i just want to say that if if ever you are in that situation it's 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 the least thing on your mind when you're coming out of surgery because you really don't feel anything um it's just that i just told my nurse staff and i told my surgeon too that that i'm expecting my periods that i could bleed any time and they just gave me uh, a nursing pad or a nursing underwear where you would just wear it and sit for for the longest time um uh it just it's there's i think an hour is not enough to talk about the whole hip dysplasia journey but i just want to say that uh if 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 ever you are in that situation where you know you're going to have your period just it's not something that that's a tremendous amount of pressure people have i think it just made me realize that i had no pain because of all the medicines that were given to me so that was good another quick thing that i want to touch base was is is what what has helped me the most during the recovery is to have no expectations from myself in the first few weeks is is just be be don't expect yourself to do a lot or even nothing and be okay with that because you're recovering and your body needs that rest after a massive surgery like that so uh yeah i think i think that's that's all i want to talk about i just want to say that don't have the expectation that i'll be able to do this i'll be able to do that just think that you won't be able to do anything so even if you could step up and and take a shower it'll be a huge uh, milestone for sure and i thought there had already been so many knowledge bombs and information drops in that um that conversation so far but yeah if uh, if if people don't mind me circling back to this um to this massive just information bomb that you just get dropped here i had never even considered what would happen or what i would think or what i would do 
if I was during my period going into surgery or if I yeah. was currently on my period and going yeah. into surgery so yeah. if you think that it might end up being a long surgery you might have a delayed recovery time waking up not being yeah. Yeah. Um, you know conscious and you know thinking actually about having to change your bag or no, and actually just may, having that conversation with somebody and saying, I'm concerned, should I not do these things? Should I do these things? Yeah. You know, do I need to make somebody aware? So that's mm. an incredible thing to bring up. Um, and yeah. Like I said, something that hasn't really been talked about at no, all. No. So I really appreciate you raising that and just, again, making people feel more confident that they can have that conversation with yeah. their yeah. healthcare team around them just to yeah. say, this is the situation. No what should I do or what should I not do to help with that situation so thank you so much for bringing that up I think that's really really important and again the beauty of these conversations to be able to have these little gems of information that people might not have thought about and it it saves that of anxiety when you go into um your surgery or your situation just knowing I've had I've heard these things and I know that I can raise these as concerns yeah. confidently knowing that other people have done this before me so yes exactly yes yes no yeah, I think it's, so it's no you're welcome I'm, I'm really glad I think uh, you can find you can now say that I love talking so I could go on and on about this but um, I, I'm really uh, grateful that you gave me the chance to talk about this and I'm sure that uh, whoever is, is listening will feel supported through your efforts so I think that's it's just that's incredible because that's what you want when you're going through something this big you just want to feel that you're not alone in in the whole process and uh, that's that's what you're doing so I rep- appreciate that thank you so much <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week again with another inspiring and incredible guest. If you'd like to be on the podcast and come and share your story, then please just send me an email at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. You can also find me on Instagram at laura.rutterford or by searching help for hip dysplasia and send me a message on there. I really look forward to speaking with you. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.